The podcast you are about to listen to is from St. Andrew's Park Circle. For more information about us, please visit standandrewsparkcircle.com. We have been working through a season as a church, the season of Epiphany. And this is actually the last Sunday of this season of Epiphany. And it's during this season that we've been talking about how our faith has feet that our faith moves us, it encourages us, it compels us into different areas and different places of life. We've hosted a seminar on poverty and how we can, as a church, engage poverty um, in a more realistic way. We are uh, leading the Alpha course here in a few weeks. We have the Walk for Water coming up, something you'll be hearing much about in the next few weeks. Our faith, it moves us, it compels us outward, but that doesn't mean that we end up in those places, does it? Just because I'm compelled to do something doesn't mean I'm going to do it. The calendar tells me that I should go to the dentist office once every six months. I'm not very compelled to go do that. (laughs) My wife works at a dentist's office. It could not be easier. But still, it's not high on my priority list. We know that if we want to have energy, if we want to sleep better, if we want to be healthy in the long run, we should probably eat well. But that doesn't stop me from opening the bag of chips at 9.30 at night after the kids are all in bed. Just because we know we should do something doesn't mean that we end up doing those things. 73% of people who suffer major cardiac events never take any additional steps to ensure that a secondary event happens. 73%. So what motivates us. What motivates us to grow? What motivates us to change? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. It'd be really easy for us to take the sermon or the this text that you just heard, to love your enemy, to turn the other cheek. It'd be really easy to take those and, and preach a sermon that says, you should do these things. It'd be really easy to preach a sermon to say, here are four steps to turning the other cheek, or to walking the extra mile. But still, that doesn't really compel us. It doesn't change our hearts. Let's look at that this morning. Because one of two things will happen if you try and do those things under your own power. First is that you'll get discouraged and you'll just end up quitting. Right? It just becomes a real routine and church becomes a habit and and, and you just kind of disengage. Or, and even worse, you convince yourself that you can actually love your enemies under your own power. You can actually turn the other cheek. You can actually give somebody your tunic when you're being sued for it. And then you become prideful. And we become arrogant. We become intolerable to be around. I don't want either of those things to happen to us. I don't want those things to happen to me. So is there a better way? I believe there is. We're going to look at that this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you open your scriptures to us? Would you open your word to us this morning? Would we see change in our lives from the inside out? And would we celebrate those changes? Would you give us a vision to see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts? And it might move our hands. And so, Father, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We might have mentioned some words already this morning that you're not familiar with, words like Lent or Epiphany. These are ways that we disciple one another using a calendar, using the church calendar. We, We tell each other the story of Jesus through different days and through different seasons. And historically, traditionally, the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany is a Sunday that we remember the transfiguration of Jesus. We remember that Jesus was transformed before some of his disciples. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 17, just a, a few chapters over from what we read earlier. It says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them high on a mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Put your head in in that situation for a minute. Jesus is on a mountaintop with with his disciples, with his closest friends. And it's on that mountaintop moment that he is transformed before them. Some of the translators, they they say his, his, his robes were like lightning. He was shining so bright, it was hard to look at. It was hard to comprehend. These disciples were comfortable with the Jesus that led them up to the mountaintop, and there he is transformed before them. Let me ask this. Who is the Jesus that you're comfortable with? And what is he like? Peter, James, and John, they got this shocking image. The text tells us that Jesus' face, it shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews would say that he is the exact imprint of God's nature, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians says that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is transformed before them And a cloud descends from heaven, and the voice of God says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then what happens? What happens? We just read it. What happens? The disciples start dancing around, celebrating. The disciples got really excited about this, this, now this cloud coming down, and there's, no. Their knees got weak. They fell on their faces. And Matthew says, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. They saw no one but Jesus. We infer that everyone else, Moses, Elijah, the cloud, had had left. That's not what Matthew says. Matthew says they saw no one but Jesus. Hold that. Treasure that for a moment. 
Let's jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, the text that you heard read earlier from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is laying out a fulfilled Torah. He is laying out a fulfilled law that finds its source and its fulfillment in him. So when you have been wronged against, the text says when you have been slapped, when you are being sued, when you are being conscripted, whenever every fiber of your being wants vengeance and retaliation, how do you find your way out of that storm? I believe how you find your way out of that storm is by looking up and seeing no one but Jesus. Look up and see only Jesus. It is not easy, nor is it, nor is it natural, but it will be what your soul is learning to trust, learning to trust God for his justice looking up and seeing no one but Jesus. You might be standing there with clenched fist, profane language, and an urge to brake check them into your backseat. Ever been there? Will you trust in those moments? Will you trust in God's justice? Does that mean that if you're in an abusive or a destructive relationship, you just stay there and take it? Absolutely not. It means that you remove yourself from those places. It means that you bring to the law of the land to bear in those places. But in your heart, it also means that you let go of the right to vengeance. And you trust the healing and the restoring presence of the Lord. The same principle applies in the next section. Verse 43, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus goes on. He goes on to say, look at the hurt, the wicked, the treasonous, the Gentiles. It is easy for them to love those who love them. They have an even some exchange of love. I love you, you love me. I put something into the relationship, I get something out of the relationship. It's an equal sum. Every relationship might be like this. I'll go as far as you go with me. It can be difficult. Those kind of relationships can be exhausting because you are always keeping score. I'll be part of this community as long as I get something out of it. It's transactional. When it comes to my bank, I want my bank to be transactional. I want that. When it comes to my marriage, or my kids, or my faith community, it is exhausting to live that way. Jesus says what? It's okay, try your best? No. He says, don't just love the people who love you. Don't just love the people who think like you, act like you, live like you, believe like you. He says, love your enemy. And actually, one of the ways that Christians are identified is through an enemy love. If I go to war and I get paid to go to war, I'm a mercenary. If I go into a relationship seeking what I'm going to get out of it, that's, that's a mercenary type of love. How do you resist a mercenary type of love? By fixing your eyes on Jesus by looking up and seeing only him. There you find the source, the fountain, even the most dry and arid and parched seasons of your life, you will find a source of love. 
a light when everything else seems dim. The kind of love that we receive when we fix our gaze on Jesus Christ not only provides a source for us to love our neighbors, but also a source for us to love our enemies. If you want proof of this, you need to look no further than the civil rights movement in this country. While not above reproach or error, it produced a profound, love-fueled, deeper love that Jesus Christ offers. This is one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. It says this, This is from 1966 in his convocation address at Wesleyan University. It says this, To our most bitter opponents, we say we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot in good conscience obey your unjust laws, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as it is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our children, bomb our homes, threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. Be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day, we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. What goes on in the heart that can write those things? It's a heart that looks up and can see only Jesus. Only that can produce that kind of a love for the enemy, for the other, for the foreigner, for the stranger, to turn the other cheek, to reserve vengeance for the Lord. The only way you can pour your life out in love is if a God-sized love is being poured into your heart poured into your heart by the one who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. You might be hearing these things and thinking that would be impossible for me to do. That would be impossible for me to earnestly and honestly and authentically walk in. And so let me encourage you with just one thing as we close this morning. Just, just, just one thought. Can you imagine yourself being that kind of a person? Can you imagine yourself being the kind of person that turns the other cheek? Can you imagine yourself being the kind of person that loves not only your neighbor, but also the ones who stand against you, the ones who hurt you? the ones who harbor a grudge against you. So much of Christian formation historically has been begun with the imagination. If I can imagine myself getting up in the morning, pouring a cup of coffee, opening scripture, and spending five minutes with the Lord, I am much more likely to go do it than if I'm trying to do it because I'm bound to some duty or it's some rote tradition. Can you imagine yourself being the person... The love of Christ is so 
poured into your heart, that it flows out through your hands. Can you imagine that this morning? If you can't, that's okay. Please know that there is healing and there is hope in Jesus Christ. And if you can, please know that there is healing and there is hope found in Jesus Christ. Because that's the source. That's the fountain that overflows. May you look up and may you see only Jesus. And may you be transformed from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this season. Father, I thank you for how you're going to work through this church and how you are. And Father, I pray that these difficult passages of loving our enemies, of letting go of vengeance, of finding healing and hope in Christ alone, that they would, they would dwell in our hearts like a seed that would grow and bloom into something absolutely beautiful. Father, we give you these next few moments just as an offering to offer ourselves before you and to invite you to do the work in our hearts that we might look up and we might see only Jesus.